Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless possible. Hello and welcome to Shameless, the weekly pop culture podcast that goes deep on all the dumb stuff. You're joined as always by Melbourne journalists Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. Hello. On today's show, the remarkable, credible and moving evolution of Lady Gaga, the demise of the once formidable cosmopolitan Australia and the murky, muddy world of tabloid journalism. Are they a stain on the industry and the people they report on? But first, Michelle, how has your week been? What have you filled it with? What have I filled this week with? I, I have changed the, the question a bit for you. You have. I um have the biggest blind pimple on my chin. I couldn't care less. No, I know. But you know when you have – I don't normally get acne. And when you actually get like a big Especially blemish on yeah. your face, it is such a mood kill. I also think it's the thing that you think everybody's looking at that aren't. You're yeah, absolutely not. You're staring at. Absolutely is not. Is there anything else going on? Um, I have really been loving – Exposed the case of Kelly Lane. Have you heard about this? I actually used to read a lot about this when I was younger. I know it sounds very strange, but it was one of those cases that I've always been very intrigued by. I haven't had the time to sit down and watch it, but I do want to. I, as I've mentioned many times on the podcast, I struggle with crime content or dark content. And this is quite dark. So this is, a, for those who aren't across, a former Australian water polo player who uh, has found guilty of killing a baby. Yep. And gave birth to, what, three or four babies in the case of three or four years? She had Secretly. Three, three secret pregnancies that were carried to full term that her partners, that her parents, that her friends had no idea about. And so basically she gave the first baby up for adoption, was mm-hmm. living at home this entire time, nobody knew, had a second baby a year later, nobody knows where that baby is, it disappeared, had a third baby, gave that up for adoption. And it wasn't until she was a mother and actually kept her own child, which was her fourth baby, that the world actually knew about this time, that uh, the Department of Child Services looked into baby Tegan, which Mm. was born seven years beforehand, and went, where is this child? Exactly. Uh, I, I struggle with dark things, with anxiety. I find that if something's really gory, I can't stomach it or it makes me feel jittery. Whereas this story, because it doesn't have any gore and because it's just really deep and interesting. And and confusing. I think that's the biggest thing for me. It's super confusing. Utterly mystifying. Yeah. It is the best true crime piece of content I have ever consumed. I know that is a big call to make because there's amazing things out there like Teacher's Pet is an awesome podcast by The Australian. You think it's overrated? Yeah, but that's for another time. That's like the best podcast ever. No, I know. Interesting. Well, the most popular podcast ever. I highly, highly recommend the case of Kelly Lane, which is on iView, and you can stream that now. And it's got no ads. That's my favorite part. No (laughs) ads. I think I need to actually get on that. What Um, have you been watching? I have been or reading or listening to a few things. I haven't been watching much. I did finally finish Jodie Picoult's book. I know I bought this up about two weeks ago. Yes. Um, I still can't get over how she can nail the zeitgeist so far ahead of it in talking about so the whole book is sort of based in an abortion clinic and talking about abortion and I guess given Kavanaugh is quite conservative and is now on the Supreme Court and they're talking a lot about how he might repeal Roe vs Wade it is so interesting how she's been able to write this book at such an important time I not her best book 
Ooh, it's really you are very critical of authors lately. I'm just, I'm, maybe I'm just in a grumpy mood for the last month. I, <laughs> she writes it backwards. It goes backwards in time. Oh. So it's sort of, it's a good book, but it's not that quintessential page turner because you sort of know what's already happened, oh. if that makes sense. It's still like a great book and there's a lot of thought-provoking stuff in there, but I wouldn't expect it to be a page turner if that's what you're going for. Well, it'd be very topical for anyone listening in Queensland right now. I know that Queensland just overturned yeah, exactly. uh, their abortion laws, so yeah. abortion is finally legal for women in Queensland. And now a lot of talk about what New South Wales are going to do too. So that was very interesting. There was another um, great profile on Chrissy Teigen in Vogue. Did you read that one? I missed that. No, that? I almost missed it too. I think it sort of floated under the radar a little bit. It was a really nice, happy, beautiful piece. It sort of um, contended that Chrissy Teigen was, or Teigen, sorry. Teigen. I know, is the last likeable person on the internet. Oh, I don't agree with that. I think She's so divisive. Half the people who follow Chrissy Teigen or Teigen. Where, yeah. Should we just go Teigen for this segment? <laughs> um, I don't know if that's true. I think most people that follow her really genuinely like her. I do really like her. But what I liked most about this piece was that she is so self-aware to the point where it's really endearing. Like what the journalist said to her, you are so incredibly likable. And she said, I, I, I guess so, but that's kind of unlikable in and of itself, isn't it? When you're too likable, people start hating you. That's so true. It is so true. And that's what I've always sort of worried on her behalf about. And the last thing that I did, I'm just sort of consuming this whole thing so I don't have to talk about myself. No, I like it. You Go would on. really like this episode of The Daily um, by The New York Times. They interview... The owner of the Comedy Cellar who allowed Louis C.K. back on stage. And so Michael Balboa of the New York Times interviews the Comedy Cellar owner and they sort of just go back and forth talking about where he would draw the line, who he would let back on. And it's a really interesting conversation given we spoke about this a couple of months ago. If you want to sort of get out of that echo chamber and listen to somebody else's perspective, you might not necessarily agree with a lot of the things he says, but he does say something really interesting at the end, which is... The Comedy Cellar owner said, I really welcome these questions, but I sort of resent the fact that in this interview, I haven't really been able to say what I want to say because I'm so terrified of saying one thing wrong that my whole career, my whole life will be ruined. Interesting. So that's really interesting too. For anyone not aware, The Daily is another podcast. So, Oh, I didn't even say that. I love giving podcast recommendations because it is really hard. so open and so like giving. (laughs) It is really hard to find a good podcast. Yeah, I find it very hard. I have to say there's a few, like I have my staples, but in terms of finding new ones, I'm always very nervous to try it out. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Talk to me about Lady Gaga because that was everywhere online this week. Her speech that she gave, uh, Elle magazine in the US held an award ceremony for women in Hollywood. They did. And Lady Gaga's speech at that award ceremony dominated headlines. It did because it also went side by side with images of her on the red carpet wearing this very baggy grey Mark Jacobs suit. suit. And she stood on stage and she said, in this suit, I felt the truth of who I am well up in my gut. And then wondering what I wanted to say tonight became very clear to me. As a sexual assault survivor by someone in the entertainment industry, as a woman who is still not brave enough to say his name, as a woman who lives with chronic pain, as a woman who was conditioned at a very young age to listen to what men told me to do, I decided today I wanted to take the power back. And she's talking about why she physically and literally wore the pants. She is amazing. Lady Gaga has been incredible this year with not only the work she's put out, she's done incredible work. Obviously, A Star is Born is absolutely killing it at the box I'm office. I'm so excited to see it. Yeah, and it's critically acclaimed as well. It's had De- very no, good definitely. reviews. I would be surprised if she wasn't nominated for some kind of Oscar for it. Yeah, she's also one of those celebrities who is just subversive. Everything she does is subversive. She is almost paranormal in her celebrity. She's less human and more alien in the ability to disrupt yeah. the celebrity world. Well, I think there's a real sense for me. When she first came on the scene, we have always known her as the kind of fluffy pop star who would always cover herself in costume, whether that be meat or something else outrageous. And I think looking at her this year and how she's sort of evolved and grown up, even though she's 32, is a really interesting way for us to look at how maybe when she first came onto the scene, it was less of a case of her trying to demand attention and for her to sort of be the centre of every red carpet, but more as a and kind of armour when she's really open about her insecurities and how much she struggled. That becomes very clear that she was deliberately trying to craft a character and keep Stephanie, her real human person, from well behind the scenes. I completely agree. I think the timing of this really tells the story. She was sexually assaulted 
started when she was 19. Yeah. And that was before her celebrity really grew. So I think it was exactly what you said, more of a thing about hiding in that she literally wanted to cover her body in whether it was meat or Kermit frogs or the most bizarre and fantastical costumes. The conversation is about the clothes and the costume. It's not about the person. It's not about who they are or what they believe or the trauma inside them. I think this kind of Lady Gaga feels new in that she's actually torn the layers off in this movie. You see her the most stripped back you've ever seen her. And I wonder if there's something to be said about the fact she's really open and willing to talk about her sexual assault now when she has been, I don't even know if this is a long bow to draw, but when she has sort of torn the layers off physically in the movie too, that she is ready to be considered more than a pop star and actually considered the human too. It does really feel like the next step of her career. I mean, this will sound weird, but I didn't even know what Lady Gaga's face looked like until a couple of years ago. She was that covered and it was almost like she had that deep need to escape and she put herself in bankruptcy. That's how much she would spend on these elaborate weird costumes she put herself in bankruptcy Mm. when she was probably about 25 26 so this need to escape was huge for her and then for her to get up with her hair slicked back and in that huge coat and deliver that rousing speech Mm. was a really nice moment not only for her career but I think for a lot of women in the entertainment industry to look at her doing that it will be interesting if she ever comes out and names the man in the entertainment industry who she says assaulted her I don't feel like she should have to I mean, I I think there's more of an understanding now that telling the story without the name is hard enough rather than naming someone. Also, what's happening to these men who we're naming anyway? A lot of them are back in work. So I understand her not wanting to. The last thing that I was thinking around this was how rare it is for us to allow women in the public eye to grow up and to age. I think often when we find women who are famous, particularly in Hollywood, they're at their prime at what, 16? Yeah, 16 to 18. Yeah, and I think it's a really good tale of what happens when we let women in the public eye for, you know, let them stay for more than a decade because then we see them grow and evolve and become really wise and that's when they are the most helpful role models for young girls. I think I was thinking about the the comparison between her and Kesha too. Kesha being able to grow up and share her story in a really helpful, considered way too. There's a lot to be said about having wisdom in that public eye. And there's a lot to be said about singers talking about sexual assault in general. We've had Kesha, we've had Lady Gaga, Taylor Swift came out, obviously, like we spoke last week and pursued that legal case against the DJ who groped her. They can have a really positive, beneficial message. So I'm applauding Lady Gaga. I think she does an awesome job. And now it's time for the quick and dirty. Every week we give you guys the rundown of the top five celebrity news stories from that week. Zara, you are kicking it off. I am. The first story on my list is obviously my favourite one. Carly Kloss and Joshua Kushner get married in a small ceremony for under 80 guests in upstate New York with the bride in custom made Dior, but models close pal Taylor Swift does not attend. Jesus Christ. Not a breath there. How do you feel? That was from the Daily Mail. That was. We put this in our Facebook group and... I've come, I've, I've done a full 180 on this, by the way. All right. Interesting. Well, I'll give the context first. Why? Carly Kloss is a supermodel. My favorite one. Vic Secret supermodel. Joshua Kushner is the brother of Jared Kushner, who you guys might recognize from, well, Such the White House. as nepotism <laughs> in the White House. <laughs> and the biggest story from this wedding was that Taylor Swift, Carly Kloss's best friend, was not in attendance. So... Yes, that's what everybody is leading off. I understand that it looks strange, but a couple of things to consider here. Well, there's been rumours that they're not very close anymore. So the past 12 months, there have been lots of headlines saying that they are not friends, that there was a very nasty and bitter friendship breakdown. I think that's actually by virtue of the fact they haven't been posting together much. What I do think is interesting is this was a a pretty intimate wedding for someone like Carly Kloss and Joshua Kushner, only 80 people. It was a Jewish ceremony, I understand, because the Kushner family is Jewish. The third thing to consider is these two actually only got engaged at the end of July. We're talking sub two and a half months. Uh, uh, uh. They announced that they're they engaged, engaged at the end in of Italy. July. They announced that they were yeah, engaged, but they could have been engaged no, weeks no, no. before that They got as engaged well. like two weeks before that mm, in, in July in Italy on 
on a boat. I don't know. I don't think you can fight me on Carly Kloss knowledge. <laughs> anyway, if we consider, even if it is before that, I don't think it matters because Taylor Swift has been on tour for nearly 12 months. She would have sold these tickets well in advance. She's in Perth at the moment. This is not the kind of thing she was going to be able to attend. I just think Stop it's interesting. To stir the pot. I just think it's interesting. It doesn't need to be stirred. Interesting. My, <laughs> my next story. <laughs> My next story, the subtle clue that suggested Duchess Megan, you put this story in, this is terrible. The subtle <laughs> clue that suggested Duchess Megan was pregnant all along. That was from now to love. I'm so sorry about I this. I put this in because it is the stupidest story uh, in the history sure, of stories. I feel like you have to say this now. Okay, so you know how everyone was trying to pick when Megan was going to announce that she's pregnant? Yeah. According to Now to Love, we should have all realised because when she landed in Australia, her hair was straight for the first time, when typically Megan wears her hair wavy and apparently when you get pregnant, a woman subconsciously changes her hairstyle. That was a news story that you ran sh- in a major publication this week. Are you telling week. me that, did they definitely say that they a woman subconsciously changes her hairstyle or the hair does change? Because the hair does change in pregnancy. They No, but originally the story was, oh, well, no, Megan's pregnant. Which I'm trying to defend this. Right, let's move on. <laughs> well, I mean, originally the story was, oh, we'll know that Megan's pregnant when her hair is frizzy again because that's her natural hair yeah. because you can't straighten it chemically. Of all the things to go for, pull out the folders. Yeah, they compared her to Kate when Kate was pregnant and said, look, Kate normally wears her hair wavy and Did she you, wore it straight before she was pregnant too. you see the stories around as well that – Prince Harry has given up drinking alongside Meghan Markle because he hasn't been seen with a drink since July. We don't see him all the time. We see him in in photo opportunities and he's just not holding a beer. What a shock that he's not walking down St Kilda Beach without a beer in his head. schooner of what? Furphy. These royal stories are so mind-numbingly dumb. great. We've got some more. Not now, but coming. (laughs) Number three. Elle magazine's Kim and Kanye stunt backfires spectacularly. That is from news.com.au. Do you want to give the background to this? I because do. this made a lot of people very, very angry. So I was scrolling through my Twitter feed. Um, I reckon it was a week ago and I saw a tweet that said Kim and Kanye's shock split, shocked emoji face, and then a link. And I was like, click. Um, <laughs> and I clicked and it was a register to vote page and I thought that's really clever it was just from some random woman um, in America who had thought of the joke herself then I see yesterday or the day before that Elle magazine has directly copied this so Elle magazine in the US has sent out a tweet that says Kim and Kanye's shock twist link it's the register to vote page Mm. it got so much backlash so much backlash and I can absolutely understand why because when I saw that first tweet from that random woman I didn't I didn't expect her to necessarily be on authority on anything, so I clicked through to see what it was going to be about. Elle magazine, deliberately sprouting fake news, desperately missed the mark. Yeah, and I think a lot of publications fail to recognise that they just can't do that. You can't get away with what a single person from the public can put out on Twitter. You can't do that as Elle magazine. and also, not a- let alone stealing someone's joke. Yeah. We should talk about that too. Yeah. I agree with you though that for them to misread the mood is is quite astounding. Yeah, and I get it. I mean, they're a progressive publication and they obviously want young people to go out and vote in the US where it's not mandatory. However, they completely miss the mark. Just do it, do it better. Number four. Oh, Megan, here we go. <laughs> We're back. Megan backs up $8,000 of clothes with $200 jeans by an Aussie brand. That's from the Sydney Morning Herald. What a lovely lady to do this. This is a great story. Firstly, before I get into the story, I think when people denigrate the pervasiveness of stories about Meghan Markle's fashion, don't understand is that how big of an impact she has on that industry when she comes, regardless of where she goes. And the fact that she's choosing to wear local brands is very important for a struggling industry at the moment. Well, she also wore Dion Lee and Dion Lee has been struggling lately and that's awesome that she could promote them like that. So this brand, this $200 pair of jeans is by a brand called Outland Denim, who uh, help young survivors of sex and human trafficking in Cambodia. So there's, they've got a factory where I think they have about 45 young girls making these jeans. And it obviously is, is brilliant publicity. I love that story, but I also noticed a really interesting tweet that I wanted to, to read out in conjunction with this story from the writer Maxine Beniba-Clark, who said, if they had black women covering the royal visit, news outlets in Australia would have noticed the Duchess deliberately wore a Serena Williams coat and dubbo and made the label sell out of stock. And then they would have been able to ascertain what the message behind that was. I'm confused by that. What does that mean? Well, given the kind of furor that Serena Williams has been in around here mm. in the last few months. Like I a think- silent support. 
Yeah, and I think she's absolutely right that if more black women were covering this kind of thing, that's the first thing that they'd be asking. What's the message behind it? Is it simply a friendship thing or is it something more meaningful than that? I wonder if anyone picked that tweet up and turned it into an article. No, I don't think they did. And in fact, there weren't many articles about her wearing Serena Williams' jacket. There was It was noted, but it wasn't written about. I think it because it was overshadowed by the Outland denim, which is understandable. Yeah, that's very interesting. Number five, Ariana Grande is breaking up with the internet after reported split from Pete Davidson from the LA Times. I am positively shocked that this relationship did not last. I do feel a bit terrible about everything that's going on for her. I do. I do. I, I wouldn't get engaged after three weeks in the future. Maybe just wait. But she's clearly in a very vulnerable state. And there was a very interesting uh, point, and I wish I could credit it because I'm about to steal it without knowing where it came from, which is the cardinal sin of podcasting, <laughs> um, that said it's very interesting. I actually think it was the New York Times that she she released an album about, you know, like with all of the songs, No Tears Left to Cry, it's sort of about overcoming all of the shit, that she's now in a better place, that sort of pop music is the way to get through all of that. And her trying to release that album while a lot of stuff is happening, her breaking up with Pete Davidson, Mac Miller dying is terrible timing. She has had the worst Because she's years. sort of ill because she sort of thought she was over the hill and that's why this album was dropped at a really important time. And the Manchester bombing incident feels like a lifetime ago, yeah. but this was this has all happened for Ariana Grande in the last two years. Yeah, it's pretty sad. And I think I think breaking up with the internet is the smartest thing she could possibly do right now. I think breaking up with Pete Davidson is the smartest thing she could do. He seems like Boom. such a wanker. I think it's the hair. I think it's everything about him. I think it's everything that comes out of his mouth mm. every single day. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, I think that's all for the quick yeah, and dirty. Yeah, I think that's all I've got for you before you go rogue a little more. Thank you so much. It was a sad week for Australian media. On Tuesday, it was announced Bauer Media is closing its millennial women's brand, Cosmopolitan, after 45 years of publication. In a statement, the company's CEO explained it has not been an easy decision to make. However, the commercial viability of the magazine in Australia is no longer sustainable. Zara, how do you feel about the news and the state of women's media more widely? My first feeling was one from the perspective probably of a journalist in an industry that is collapsing a little bit and that was really upset for the people that were going to lose their jobs really upset for the fact that's just another publication gone that people can't work for and it wasn't as a reader which I found interesting how did you respond as a reader or as a journalist a bit of both I think only journalists can really tap into that feeling of being at university and looking forward into the future into five years time and going, I actually don't know if there's going to be a job that I can use this degree for. And I know that the vast majority of people who do a journalism degree don't actually end up using it in a journalism role. They often go into PR or they go into other aspects in the media, into comms. Oh, I remember sitting at my careers council meeting in the end of year 12 saying that I wanted to do journalism and was almost talked out of it by the careers councillor, which I'm sure is not her job to tell me because there's no work. Well, I feel like I didn't even want to own up to wanting to be a writer for so long. It took me until I was in my 20s to actually go, you know what, I want to do this. And that's because I felt like if I told people I wanted to be a writer, the immediate reaction would be, there's no jobs in writing. There's no money in writing. How are you ever going to do that? often, actually, I don't get that response anymore, I guess, because we're working. But probably up until I finished my degree, even when I did have a foot in the industry, that was still the response that I was getting. It's an air of concern that if you tell loved ones that you want to be a writer, it's like, oh, are you sure you want to do that? So yeah, I agree with you. I did react that way. The other part of me, and I do feel a little bit bad for saying this, is I just saw it coming. I think there's no other alternative. Perhaps it is surprising for people who aren't in the industry. And I think a lot of Cosmo readers or women who grew up with Cosmo were really devastated to hear this news. However, the writing has been on the wall for years. I'm actually surprised that a lot of women's publications are still printing magazines. Well, I think I'm more surprised that... The Cosmo content I always struggled with, I have to be honest, particularly for the last two years, I'm not going to beat around the bush with that. I think even when I used to work and I used to try and read across every single website I possibly could, I would jump on the Cosmo homepage and not understand the demographic or what they were going for. The printed magazine was so much stronger than the online site. I'm finding that with a lot of um, Bauer stuff. I'm finding that. Actually, I'm finding that for a lot of women's magazines in Australia across the board. Um, particularly Vogue and Elle, that their their print stuff is, is for me, I prefer than the online stuff. Oh, super high quality. The Cosmo magazine, I bought it this year. 
my last one and that was actually really good fun content. However, their website was very lacklustre. But what I always thought is that the Cosmo brand would pull it along a little longer. I thought that there was going to be stuff that was going to go before Cosmo because that brand is so iconic in the country. But I guess that doesn't make money, having a strong brand, clearly. No, it doesn't. I have been very conflicted looking back in the last few days about Cosmo. I did like Cosmo growing up, but I think I might have just missed the boat. Did you feel like that? I mean, we're similar age. I think I would have begun reading Cosmo when I was in year seven and eight, which sounds really young, but it's kind of funny. You would grow out of Dolly and Girlfriend and then then immediately jump into Cosmo and then go to Elle from there. So I I still read Elle now. I would have stopped reading Cosmo probably in year 11. Yeah. 11 weeks ago. Um, <laughs> kidding. I I did feel very conflicted because it wasn't a core part of my teenagehood and I don't know why. I have found myself looking a lot into Helen Gurley Brown in the last few days as well. Who is the founder of Cosmopolitan yes, in America. the US. But I think because the brands of Cosmo are very similar across the board, across country, that was the idea behind Cosmo, that it was tailored to a local audience, but the ideas were still the same. And I found this quote that she said, which I found sort of encapsulated the Cosmo brand and how I feel about it, which she said, Cosmo is feminist in that we believe women are just as smart and capable as men are and can achieve anything men can. But it also acknowledges that while work is important, men are too. The Cosmo girl absolutely loves men. I find the Cosmo brand of feminism and always have mildly problematic and that doesn't that doesn't necessarily have to be a huge problem because nothing has to be perfectly feminist but it's it's always felt very white very middle class very flirty it reminds me of sort of a character in sex in the city i don't know if that's a fine comparison to, to pull but we say cosmo revolutionized the world for women and for a lot of women it might have but but it's Did a very it, particular kind of woman. This who is what I struggle with. We talk about it revolutionizing the world for women, but it was actually just, you're right, a certain type of woman. Mm, and we're I ignoring all of that. the people that wouldn't have identified with it. I actually do think they were quite radical in that they spoke about sex and sexual liberation yes. for women when that was not common at all. And I do agree. I do think it's a white woman's publication. I would love to see a comparison between how many women of color ever existed on the cover of that magazine compared to white women. And I know there is discussion about how they eventually put women of different sizes who weren't just a size six on the cover and how that's great, but it remains a white (laughs) woman. Diversity is a little more than that. It remains a white woman's publication. That said, I really enjoyed Cosmo. I also really thoroughly, still to this day, enjoy the ritual of reading a magazine, whether I read it in bed or even just having it around my room as a physical yeah, you do copy really like of them. magazines. I buy Elle every single month and I think there is currency in buying a magazine and it is a touch point for a community that is difficult to get online. I think the actual touch of reading the written word is really important and it's really wonderful as a ritual to have every single month and we don't get that with online I feel like whenever I'm reading things online yeah it's great and it's awesome but there's not that same connection that I have when I'm actually physically flipping the pages of a magazine that I've loved and a brand that I've loved I know that's a very common way of thinking about magazines I feel that about books that's why I'd never go to those things, Kindles. I don't buy, yeah, I don't those buy things. Kindles or anything like that. No, I have but I actual physical books. I never have felt like that about magazines. I've never felt the pull of a community because I, I can't see the community. Sure, you get the odd letter to the editor or, or reader's letter in, but I've never felt that pull to the community. So I guess maybe that's why I'm a little more removed from this conversation. I know that we both read the Ali Jones piece in The Atlantic about, it was 2013, wasn't it? Did you just read my notes? No, I did read your notes. I read the piece and then I read your notes and I was like, damn. plagiarizing my content? I read the same article, (laughs) but I thought it was more helpful because what I found most interesting, Ali Jones wrote for The Atlantic back in 2013 about Cosmo being feminist and, and what it actually stood for with women. And I found the most interesting part about this speech this piece, the distinction she makes between mainstream feminist and deeply feminist. And this put a lot of my thoughts in order in that Cosmo was mainstream feminist in that it was the flirty kind of feminist where you have to say, I love men and I can wear high heels and lipstick, but I also care about the pay gap. Whereas deeply feminist doesn't necessarily care about a lot of that stuff. It is just more interested in the core issues and not the aesthetic that goes along with it. And I thought that was interesting because I thought it doesn't actually have to cater to all types of feminism. Maybe it can just be that mainstream feminist. Cosmo Australia did give us some amazing 
figures in the Australian media. Yes. Zoe Foster Blake, who we obviously adore, yep. is one of them. Bronwyn McCann, our ex-boss Mia Friedman. It was a launching pad for so many careers and so many profiles in the media that have been huge voices and it's always great to have women who have massive platforms in the media like yeah, that. Yeah, in an industry that is generally and historically very hard for women to crack into, particularly TV, a magazine like Cosmo has been crucial in carving the careers and giving these women platforms in a in an area that often doesn't give women a chance, which has been really good. I I really liked this quote from Jessica Wakeman, who's a pop culture writer who was quoted in 2012 when Helen Gurley Brown did die. She said, you have to take Cosmo with a grain of salt. It's not a radical feminist magazine. Take what you want from it and go. But why does everything have to be a I'm radical not, feminist it magazine? It doesn't, but that's what I think the point is. Because I think they said, and the reason Ali Jones wrote, just to go back a bit, the reason Ali Jones wrote that piece in The Atlantic is she was responding directly to a quote from the former editor-in-chief that called its own magazine deeply feminist. Okay. And if you're going to sell your magazine based on that principle people are going to talk about whether it is deeply or mainstream feminist that's true i think that's fair i backed it doesn't i'm ha- sorry it doesn't i just i agree it doesn't have to be but i think when you're trying to sell a brand you have to live up to what you're trying to sell it as yeah i think it's also probably difficult for them to sell themselves as that when a lot of their content in the 90s and before that was based on diet culture yeah a whole lot of it was how you can get the skinniest you've ever been in the space of three weeks and how you can only drink wine and cheese and lose 10 kilos type content so that type of stuff is probably the most problematic that cosmo has done however in recent years for example the cosmo women of the year awards i actually really enjoy it i really love that and i think they often want to put women into the public eye and show women off for their achievements, whether they be on social media or professionally. I think that is a good thing that Cosmo has given us and I will miss that. And there is a lot that I'll miss too. I think it's worth casting a critical eye over it just because it's in the grave doesn't mean we have to have rose-coloured glasses. I am interested in your thoughts on how women's media is today and how you feel about it well i was going to bring this up too i actually think the reason (laughs) (laughs) i actually think the reason that podcasts are getting so big now and that obviously youtube has been big for a while that's no new uh medium i think that reason is because they give you the sense of community that you would get from a magazine Mm. with online publications like blogs and websites they honestly to me are starting to feel a bit stale and fragmented I feel like I don't get as much out of it as I used to it's kind of like I go to a website now I might read a clickbaity trashy article on the bachelor and then I'll go away and feel like why the fuck did I just waste five minutes of my life on that and there's no sense of community whereas when you're listening to someone in your ears it feels like friendship I know that when I listen how to talk up your own project while doing no 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 but I know that I, I listen to podcasts I and I feel like I love listening to a podcast and feeling like I know this person and I trust what they're saying and I'm interested. I might disagree or I might agree with what they're saying, but that gives me what I got from a magazine and what I probably won't get from a magazine for a very long time anymore. I can go to YouTube and I can watch a YouTuber that I really like, or I can go to a podcast and listen to a podcast that I really like. Well, I think it is that sense of intimacy. I think women want content that's smart. I don't think it's being given to them in Australia. I know I personally have to go overseas to find the content, uh, the women's content that I find smart. I'm just going to be blunt about that. And I don't think women want the, the internet to be repurposed for them anymore. And I think that's all they're getting online is that someone writing about an Instagram post that I could feasibly find myself or someone writing about the bachelor angle that I have already seen myself. I think people want stuff they can't actually find or think for themselves. There was a great interview with Amy O'Dell, who was the editor-in-chief of Cosmopolitan in America. And Amy O'Dell very famously transformed that publication digitally. I think she increased their traffic threefold while she was there under her watch for, for three or four years. And she said, and I'll find this very interesting, Towards the end of my time at Cosmo, I was noticing that the things that were performing well weren't so simple as something about Kim Kardashian's latest selfie. We had to do really great original content, whether it was an amazing essay or highly reported story. The site's audience, I think, tripled to 36 million monthly uniques under her watch, which is huge. But that sense that we often aren't getting and often because websites can't afford it, but a really good original thought provoking content is a failure of women's media at the moment. I, this might sound hyperbolic, but I stand by it. Do I ever say something that doesn't sound hyperbolic? That's why I said probably. Impossible. I think it is insulting 
what the vast majority of women's publications put out in that they underestimate women and they think the only way to get us to read a story is to sell us on a lie or a clickbaity shitty headline that makes us feel bad when we click in and we read this regurgitated rehashed idea that we could have gotten exactly as you said straight from Instagram no additional information it's insulting to feel like I can't get good content that feels like it's actually speaking to me as a woman with a brain I agree it it is for me why I'm going to podcasts more it's why I know a lot of people are going to podcasts. I think podcasts are more accessible than writing. As as wonderful as, as magazines have been and online websites have been for a very long time, a lot of people don't, don't love reading as much as we do. I get a lot out of reading, but a lot of people might not. And I think the idea that you can have someone talking in your ears and not having to physically consume that as the written word is very, uh, is very attractive to a lot of people. And I think it's so also I- that we're also, rushed, we're also rushed in our everyday life yeah. and we want to fit as much as we possibly can in the ritual of sitting down and doing nothing but reading which requires your full attention undivided attention might put some people off whereas a video or audio which you can do other things you can clean the house you can be on your way to work all that type of stuff you don't need to be sitting down and giving your undivided attention to one thing and that's very attractive to a lot of people particularly women i think we accidentally turned this segment into an ad for our own podcast No, no, I do I, love other podcasts. My favorite podcast is The High Low. Yeah, I do love that one too. I recommended The Daily Today. Look at us. There you go. You're still half a child, you know, and you're exploring things and you're trying to push boundaries and that's what that time is about. And then suddenly when there's a kind of a glare and an opinion and, and actually literally physically being followed around by 20 guys mm-hmm. who are deeply misogynistic I think it was a really rude awakening to the world of misogyny that in my upbringing of being very sort of left-wing kind of inclusive sort of you know I'd never experienced that level of hatred on a day-to-day basis it was a big week for the tabloids, but not quite in the way you might think. First, it was Kira Knightley in a podcast interview detailing the depth of the trauma of being the focus of tabloids in her early 20s. Then it was Kendall Jenner who roasted the paparazzi on Twitter and accused them of putting her life in danger after they posted images of her home and ways for anyone to get inside online. And then finally, it was Gigi who did, who on Friday posted a message on Instagram outlining the harassment celebrities experience every day at the hands of paparazzi. Mish, in an era where celebs are desperate to control their image more than ever. Do you see tabloids and paparazzi crossing more and more boundaries to report on the happenings of their lives? I'm not sure if it's more and more. I'm, I think maybe celebrities have more of a platform to talk about it now, but I know that celebrities would have legal cases and uh, stalking charges against paparazzi into the 90s. So it's not like this is a new phenomenon. It just means that we're probably hearing about it more unfiltered from the perspective of celebrities because they can just go tweet about it or they can put it on their phone. I don't think it's a new thing. I think we're just getting more insight into how pervasive and how intrusive this stalking and harassment No, I think that's a great point because I think all we have to do is look at the last decade. I mean, the news of the world phone hacking scandal was was more than 10 years ago. So this is certainly not new. It reminded me of when Jennifer Aniston wrote that brilliant op-ed for the the Huffington Post where she said, we use celebrity news to perpetuate this dehumanizing view of females. And she spoke about it particularly from a female perspective in that it is much worse for, for a woman in the public eye than a man. And if you think of the dynamics of it, They're kind of terrifying. Very, very often it's a pack of men following Mm. one woman and trying to get that woman to react. So they're calling out really offensive language to her, calling her a slut or a whore or whatever will get a reaction out of her. Very intimidating and overwhelming as a young woman faced with that it is there's something so logical about why we do focus or when I say we I mean why the tabloids and paparazzi do focus on on young women so much because our value as women and especially and especially as young women is placed so inherently on how we look and taking a photo of a woman when she isn't prepared or might not be looking her best is an incredible power move for a tabloid or for a pap that in an industry that relies on aesthetics. So, of course, you're going to chase young women more than you're going to chase young men. Yeah, absolutely. It's almost that gotcha moment that in photo shoots, she might look amazing, but, oh, she has a blemish in this photo that she hasn't covered or she's got a little stomach because she dared to eat lunch one day. A little stomach. 
It's that hunter and prey mentality, I feel like, that they really suck money out of, that they are constantly on the hunt for these women. And these women cannot hide because they need to be able to live their lives. They need to get from A to B. And so often these paparazzi shots are taken as they walk a few metres from a car inside a building. These women do everything they can to try and avoid the paparazzi. I'm going to preface. I can see your face already. (laughs) I'm going to preface what I'm saying. I'm talking about A-list celebrities. I'm talking about Gigi, Kendall and Kira, like you said in that introduction paragraph, who, in my opinion, will not. Yes, we're on first name basis before you say that <laughs> you as read well. My mind twice in the last thirty seconds. Props we've, to you. Keep been doing this. I won't interrupt now. <laughs> they are not setting up paparazzi shots. They are bigger than the paparazzi in that they are automatically worth a lot to publications to get photos of those women. However, reality stars will set up paparazzi All right. shots. Am and daily celebrities <laughs> will set up paparazzi shots. Daily celebrities set up paparazzi shots. I think sure. that is absolute bullshit. Kim Kardashian sets up paparazzi shots all the time. Kim Kardashian has her own paparazzo. That's a different thing that she takes and around with her to get very okay. specific. I think we're thinking in two black and white terms right now. I think when we talk about the setting up of a paparazzi shot, I agree. Gigi Hadid's post on Instagram was very clever. It was very rational and it was very interesting insight into what she experiences. However, I have to say... Gigi has in particular, I think, this remarkable ability for pap photos of her to go viral in the best sense of the world. All I'm thinking about is when she is walking perhaps to Fashion Week or walking to an event in this stark, um, amazing outfit, they absolutely use paps to their advantage in order for those photos to be spread far and wide on the internet. I can think of so many paparazzi shots of Pat Gigi Hadid, up to five, that have been incredible branding exercises for her. Think about that amazing pink Barbie suit she wore that you can recall off the top of your head because it was a pap shot. Yes, I can. Because that is an incredible branding. And I think she is part fashion influencer because of that. She's not posting fashion on Instagram. The reason we know Gigi Hadid is so good at fashion is because there's so many pap photos of her either on street style or walking to an event. Now, I understand the idea of being hounded by a paparazzo is... Uh, terrible and overwhelming and frightening. But I don't think that we can have this conversation without talking about how A-list celebrities either set up photos or use them to their advantage. I'm sorry, I completely disagree. I agree with you that lower grade celebrities like those who go on Married at First Sight and launch their own stupid music songs and whatever. They set up paparazzi shots to boost their image. I totally disagree. I don't think A-listers do it. They don't need to. They're already the biggest stars in the world. Yes, they, are they all- do. Why, why are they the biggest stars in the world? Because their pap photos are making their way into the tabloids. No, I'm not that's absolute they, bullshit. I'm I not totally disagree doing with it you. All the time, and it would take a certain type. But I think that's very unsympathetic for women who. Kira Knightley has come on. Would it surprise you to say someone told me this week that I sh- there should not be a limit on the amount of empathy I have? <laughs> I disagree with that. Kira Knightley said on the Awards Chatter podcast that she had a mental breakdown because of I'm these people saying, stalking her. Are you telling me no, that someone like that, absolutely, or not. someone like Kendall Jenner who has her house I'm put online? Broad stroke assumptions about how all of them are hiding from the paparazzi are very narrow. But I haven't said that. I've just said a listers. Yeah, I completely agree. No, I, I don't think A-list the biggest stars. Broad- in the world. Anyway, we're going to move on from this. <laughs> I, think we're getting- I think I do have a lot of sympathy for these women. And if I'm brutally honest with myself, I do regret or I do have feelings about the bonus episode we yeah. did speaking to Ben McDonald, who was a paparazzo, because I'm not sure I look back on that and feel good about it. Not we, we did push him and we did ask him questions that we really wanted answers to, but that was a man who had a restraining order out against him from Nicole Kidman. Yeah. And I do have deep regret because I do think it's a deeply misogynistic industry and speaking to Ben McDonald is fine and getting his story is fine. However, at the very crux of it, I think what paparazzi do is immoral and I think it's wrong. And I think they're making money off people and putting people in a situation that is harmful to their mental health and to their physical health, the way they drive, the way they pursue these women. And I'm talking about obviously the women that I said before, the absolute movie stars who cannot get away from the paparazzi. I feel sorry for them. And I do feel regret about that episode that we did because I don't think it was necessarily 
positive. That's really interesting that you say that. I don't have regret about that episode. I feel like we'll have so many people going back to it now to try and um, listen to it. I don't have regret. I understand the perspective that you have, but just because an industry might be, in your opinion, immoral, and I think I, I would agree with you in saying that, doesn't mean we shouldn't hear their side of the story. I think there's another part of the industry that's very worth hearing about, which is the fact that a lot of celebrities do set up their paparazzi shots, and I think it's absolutely worth listening to the perspective of somebody who is constantly demonized despite that i i don't know i am very conflicted on this idea about whether tabloids if i'm going to move away from paparazzi for a second are all bad i've been thinking a lot about tmz and tmz do a lot of invasive stuff when they report they sort of hold no prisoners and they give very few shits about the ramifications of the things that they do but i thought about these two examples i thought about the time that they released the photos of rihanna when she had been beaten up by Chris Brown, those awful photos of her face. What a guy. And then I thought about the fact that they published that video of NFL star Ray Rice after he punched his girlfriend in the lift. And, and knocked her out. Knocked her out and she got to the end of the lift and it is harrowing, harrowing stuff, completely unconscious. The footage of her, him dragging her body out of that lift is terrifying and chilling. So this is what I began to think about because I thought that is an amazing breach of privacy for both of those women, for Rihanna and Ray Rice's wife, whose name has escaped me. Um, But on the other hand, do you have to make big invasive calls like this one in order to hold criminal men account for their violence and do a much more important public service, which is to A, publicly shame them and B, start conversations about domestic violence. I don't know where I sit on it in the essence of full disclosure. Those two examples that you just gave then, I think those were probably the best thing that TMZ has ever done. Is it if Rihanna doesn't like it? Does she has she said that recently or did she say that at the time? I don't think she's spoken about it much since because I know she doesn't want to be defined by that particular incident, which is very fair. And she said publicly that she doesn't want to become a spokesperson for domestic violence. Mm. I know at the time she wasn't stoked that they went public, mm. which I think we're both clearly very conflicted about it. What I did like was with the Ray Rice story is that it really prompted the NFL to act on domestic yeah. violence. And originally he was given a three-game suspension, I think it was, or a three-week suspension until the footage came out of him punching her square in the face and which, he was banned. Which I find kind of interesting because they had footage of them walking into the lift and the first footage they had was her coming out of the lift completely unconscious that's when he got a three-week ban it was only when they re-released second um a second set of footage where he was physically punching her that he got banned for life and that kind of annoyed me a little bit because if a woman is entering a lift conscious and exiting a lift unconscious what probably happened in that lift yeah it's true yeah anyway i thought there was a very interesting piece just to talk about um the invasiveness of tabloids a little bit more by Ryan Linkov in the New York, New York Times in the wake of the News of the World scandal a couple of years ago. And he said this, he had this really interesting contention about why tabloids are so important um, in our media. And he said the tabloids may test the limits of the ethically or legally acceptable, but they are often doing so in the service of a popular desire to see behind the facade of public life. They rely on the appeal, a very human one, of seeing elements of our societies that are often shamefully hidden away which makes me wonder if there's some sort of deeper, more important purpose for something that seems quite trashy. Yeah, I do like that. I did like it too. And I know a lot of people, I reckon a lot of people will be listening to this disagreeing with that in its entirety, but it's a legitimate line of thought in that these kinds of tabloids sell very well. People are inherently interested in what's going on. And there is something to be said about ripping a layer of shine off something and and looking at what's going on underneath, which is often the lives of celebrities, which often mirror our own lives. And I think it's the ultimate paradox that as much as we critique this industry and we look at it with a magnifying glass, we're still consuming it. I still consume Mm. paparazzi shots. So I can get on my high horse and be like, I hate paparazzi. They're the worst. But at the end of the day, I still go to the Daily Mail sidebar of shame and love clicking on photos of women, which what does that say about me? What does that say about anyone who does that? You're a terrible person. I'm a walking contradiction. No, I'm kidding. I do think it's kind of like this double-edged sword now that I think celebrities are more and more desperate to control their own image. They, I mean, we have spoken about the death of the celebrity profile in the past in that nobody wants to be interviewed anymore. They sort of want to write their own story, which is in turn going to make paparazzi and tabloids more interested in pulling off the veneer of what's going on. And in doing so, the more desperate paparazzi and tabloids get, the more likely they are to become even more private. So it's sort of just like this cyclical thing. 
I don't know how we get through it. I think the one thing that that I I do want to be clear on is the idea that a paparazzo can take a photo of of how to get into Kendall Jenner's house when she's had a stalker is one of the most horrifying things I've heard. Mm. And this isn't her first stalker either; it's her second. It's it's that's pretty terrifying to me. I wonder how much sympathy people actually have for this kind of conversation and these people, though, well, in real terms. Well, one of my favorite things about Mama Mia, which we used to work at for a few years, was that they had a very blanket, hard and fast rule that there was no paparazzi photos to ever be republished they do not yeah. contribute to the paparazzi economy and that was my favorite thing about yeah, that I website like that too. i think that's a really positive thing it'll be very interesting to see how it progresses particularly now that anyone can pick up a phone and anyone could call themselves an amateur paparazzo yeah and i have to be honest i think it's almost futile having this conversation i mean it's helpful that gg and kendall and whoever want to talk about it but it's also almost futile them talking about it too because we're still consuming this stuff and i can't see a time that we won't mm. and as long as they're repurposing that content on their Instagram pages. They're kind of supporting it themselves. Exactly. Hey, I think that's all we have time for today. I agree. Thank you so much for joining us for episode 32. On that note, we got, we have been getting our episode numbers wrong since the dawn of time. So do we know when we mucked it up? No, I'm not sure. Maybe it was when you got... Let's just call it 33. Who cares? No, it's episode 32. Our own rules. (laughs) I'm calling this episode 33. (laughs) Before we go, we're a little independent podcast. It is just Zara and I here. If you want to support us, the first thing you can do is click subscribe on Apple Podcasts. That boosts us up the charts every single week the second thing as always is we love it when you put us on your instagram story and when i say we i think michelle loves it the most (laughs) it has been so helpful in spreading the word i think we know there was a recent um abc podcast report that was released this week that said the easiest way and the most common way for people to find new podcasts is actually word of mouth so whether that be you telling a friend or you putting it on your instagram story i don't think you can underestimate how helpful that is for us Thank you. <laughs> Michelle was actually just on her phone as I said that. So I've tuned out. I've tuned out. And that's it. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode. We will see you guys in the Facebook group or on our Instagram yeah, page. Yeah, shameless celebrity gossip for one final plug. How many plugs can we get into one episode? Not enough. Thank you so much. We'll see you next week. Bye. Hello, guys. Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse. If you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.